I've never said no to anything. I'll always say yes and just see how, you know, I'd rather fall off the horse trying to ride it than never getting on at all. When new acts come in, and you do get some arrogant ones that really come in and think that they know it all. If they don't get a laugh, they blame the audience. And you've got to sit there and you go, hang on, without being an idiot, 200 people can't be wrong. As a punter, if if you're just constantly like looking at your watch going, oh, how long have I got, how long have I got, you know, with all this, you can't help but think as a punter, oh, is there somewhere better you've got to be, mate? Because this is a night out for us. This is our night out and, you know, you'd rather, you're making it seem that you wouldn't want to be here. Today on the Engaging Marketeer podcast, I have got comedian Phil Reed. Uh, I'm going to be asking Phil, why on earth did he decide to become a stand-up comedian? What possessed him to do this? Uh, what happened when he did his first ever gig? That's an interesting story that probably didn't go quite as you would expect it to. And what sort of stories he's got about other comedians he's worked with and how does he formulate routines? How does he get his energy on the stage? And what advice would he have for anybody like myself, an aspiring uh, comedy festival winner, I happen, I hasten to add. Any advice for people like myself who want to be stand-up comedians and to further their career? One thing I like to ask when I'm, I'm talking to uh, comedians is, why the hell do you do it? What, what possessed you to actually want to be a comic? Uh, I think growing up through school, I've always been uh, a bit of a clown. I've always enjoyed making people laugh. Uh, from probably an early age, but then also, I think the biggest influence that I had was my dad. As in, he used to love comedy. He used to watch like the comedians like so Mike Reed, Jim Davison, Bobby Davro. You know, um, we'd always watch like the Royal Variety performance. And when I was a kid, I used to really love watching my dad laugh. <laughs> and it, I don't know, it was just something like comforting and loving about it that I used to just really enjoy and then I remember remember I asked for a comedy a comedy a comedy tape VHS no DVDs back then mm. um, asked for a comedy tape and they got me Lee Evans ultimate experience and then it kind of then it reversed so then I used to then watch Lee Evans laughing and my dad used to love watching me laugh <laughs> so it's always been like a, a big I, I think Obviously, as a kid, like Lee Evans is just so slapstick and just incredible to watch as a performer. So it kind of went, went that way. Um, and then just, I, I've always been into drama. So then I'd go to like drama school and, you know, do plays and productions. And then I'd say what kind of then deterred me into going into comedy as it would be, I was about... 14, 15, and I was doing a showcase for the drama group that I was a part of in Manchester called um, Lane Johnson Drama School. And David Johnson, who was the tutor, asked me to compare it. And I went, okay. I Because I've never said no to anything. I'll always say yes. <laughs> and just see how, you know, I'd rather fall off the horse trying to ride it than never getting on at all, yeah. as they say. And um, he asked me to compare it, and I went, yeah, okay. And then just went on and it just, I remember just getting laughs from what I was saying, not from a script, not from behind a character or anything. And then, as I say, it was just that, it was just that thrill, that buzz of getting live laughter without, because in script work, it's kind of all written down and you go, oh, this is where the laugh will be. And, you know, 
this, that, and the other. And yeah, just, I think just getting it on myself. So then I just kind of went went from there. But I just love it. I just love that feel of of a live audience and a. So that's what got me into it. So obviously that that's going right right back. So so when you actually got up on stage to to, to compare it, did you have anything in mind of what you were going to say? Did you have any sort no. of jokes or just? No, I I just remember one of the bits of advice that David said was that um, he said, oh, there's like a little bit where, you know, everyone put, put your left hand up in the air and then everyone put your right over in the air and then just lower them down and sort of lapse to the person next to you. <laughs> um, so I did that and then that got a laugh and I was like, okay. And then I just started to go a bit off the cuff because also as well, when I used to do drama within, within I think this is maybe why he, he asked me to compare it, I assume. Um, I could be wrong, but I was always good improv, not improv, improv. Yeah. Uh, and I'd always try and make it funny. People would want to like, if, if we were doing like an improv session, even like throughout school, people would want to work with me because it'd be okay. And it's just that kind of like off the cuff thing. So it was just that. So he never gave me any advice per se. It was just, you know, I mean, I'm sure if I went back to it now and watched it now, I don't think it'd be great, but it doesn't matter because it gave me, it planted that seed for me to to do what obviously what I do now. Mm. So, so when when you told your your family that you were going to be a stand up comedian, what was the kind of response you got? Um, I still get it now. It's not a real job. Um, <laughs> it was a bit of it was a bit of a weird one because it's not really something that I ever went. This is what I want to be. It was just something when I was seventeen. So it. After I'd done that show, uh, that showcase that I was saying, I'd meet with my agent just to find out if there was any paths that we could go down, like for comedy. And they gave me the name of the Frog and Bucket in Manchester, which is famously known if you read like all like comedians' biographies. You know, um, Peter Kays is obviously it's featured very famously in. Mm. And I went there, and they had a competition every Monday night called Beat the Frog with Dan Nightingale. And I just tried it when I was like eight. So I tried it when I was 18. And I just remember my mind would go blank because when it's a, it's a different environment to um, a play. Whereas, like I said to you, on a play, you've got your character to hide behind. You've yeah. got, you know, the script. You've got, as long as you can remember the script, it doesn't matter. That, that's all you need. Whereas comedy, it was because I'd written it or because I'd, you know, was trying to perform it. There was bits that was going. And I remember I did my first ever spot. And you've got to survive five minutes, um, hence beat the frog. And when I did it, I um, I think I was, I think I, I was lasted for like three and a half minutes, which I think for a new act was good. I probably would have gone on longer because the audience were willing me to go on longer, but I just couldn't think. I mean, mine just went completely blank. Each member of the audience, so three members of the audience, get given cards. So if they don't like you, they just put the card up. And it's not like anyone would ever, on that first one, it's not like they all went, oh, no, we don't like him. Let's all put our card up. Hmm. They um, they were willing me on. And I think they just seen out of, you know, it's kind of like, for the use of a better term, like putting the dog down. Well, he's in pain here, so we'll just put him out of his misery. Yeah, and then I've just gone on from there. But then after then, that's when I went down the road of getting a job on a holiday park because going on to a stage, my biggest problem when I was analysing it, because I did it a few times after that as well, was I couldn't get out of that barrier of 
being able to just talk whilst people were looking at me. Hmm. I just I kept on. That's what I was tripping over, and that's what kept on making my mind go blank because there was no, as I say, no such script there. Um, and it, you know, I, I wanted it to feel like the comedy to feel natural and, you know, and um, spontaneous. So, what, what what was it like when you were trying to perform your own routine and it was just going from your head? Just panicking, yeah, just just literally a sheer panic in in the regard that you're trying to to do that and it's just you like I can't even remember what I was going to say you know whereas and because you, you're a new act and you want to do really well and you want you know you want people to like like you and find you funny and you want to impress your peers as it would be um, it was just that so I just kind of as I say I just panicked I was like mm, and it just kind of went out my head mm. a little bit um, so it was it was tough but then it's it's like anything you know you, you'll only ever get stronger if you fall down so it, it didn't put you off wanting to do it then? It didn't frighten you? No, 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 not at all. I mean, there was there was, there was one one show I've done, because where I live, I live just outside Chester um, in Ellesmere Port. So I had to drive to Manchester every Monday to go and do, do the competition, or the Mondays I was doing it. Hmm. I remember I drove all the way to Manchester, did went on for my spot, and I lasted 10 seconds, 10 seconds and got carded off. And I brought a few friends with me as well. So the embarrassment of all that, and you're like, uh, I just went and sat in the toilet. And then as soon as the break went, I went, right, we're going. Yeah. And that was an awkward car journey home. But again, it's that. So like when, when stuff like that happens, you kind of just go, right, okay. And as you say, it's, you, you know, you either pick yourself up and go again, or you just stay down and stay defeated. And I've never done that. So what, when you did that first routine then, what sort of material were you doing? Can you remember? I think I've still got the original script somewhere um, in the office because I used to call myself Phil Lingood as well. Phil Lingood, so Phil Lingood, yeah. yeah. So that that would be my in my head. I thought, oh, this will be brilliant. This, and again, it's seventeen, eighteen. So um, I would have in my head, it'd be like, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Phil Lingood, uh, and then I'd have James Brown. I feel good, you know, like kind of bringing <laughs> me on. I thought that was genius. I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be brilliant. This. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, there was like little bits that I wrote that that were good, and um, but I think because it was, again, I didn't see it at the time, but that's what you'd class as character comedy. Mm. It wasn't really authentic or genuine to myself. So then that probably then stumbled it as well. But I used to wear like I don't know. It was I don't really remember what jokes were actually put in it. Not great ones, I could imagine. Mm. Because uh, you're just trying to, you know, like break it all in and stuff that you then think's funny at the time isn't funny. And also, as well, I'll say what is one of the big, one of the biggest learning factors that I've developed over the years is that it doesn't matter how funny I think it is, it's the audience. Yeah. You know, so I can rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it and go, yeah, I'm going to say it like this, I'm going to do it like that. But if the audience don't find it funny, then there's no point. You may as well just throw it out. It doesn't matter how long you've spent on it. So I, I think it was John Bishop, and he said, he said, you know, he said the only way to test it is with the audience. So if you don't like it, you know, or if it gets a laugh, then you know it's got potential, it's got legs, and then just develop it from there. Good bit of advice to be honest. Like so, when, when you look at it, and it doesn't matter, as I say, like then I think again when you're starting early doors, which is why I think John said this to me, was that you you're then trying, you know, you, you, you then as I say, I used to sit, I used to go upstairs into my bedroom and at like. 
say it over and over again in front of the mirror and stuff, and it's like you're not getting a real reaction because in your head you've written the joke and you go, oh, there's a laugh there. And I've seen this so many times with new comics as well, and, and this is the one bit of advice that I give is when you write a joke, don't ever write the laugh because I made that mistake where you'd write the laugh and if you then do it in front of an audience and the laugh doesn't come, it just throws you. Mm. Your whole head just it just goes off, and it's and that's I think I think that's possibly when I look at it like now or when I look back on it where I would maybe struggle and go oh there's a laugh there and then the laugh wouldn't come and then you just then your mind then as I say that's when it just kind of yeah. goes out of kilter. But you see it with with many comics with like especially with yeah. new comics as well. So it, so in a way it's it's the audience getting the routine wrong, not you. They're the, they're missing their cue. They're not laughing at the point where you've actually written. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you could look, you could look at that, but I've never, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'd never, I'd never say that about an audience because, again, as well, <laughs> I'll tell you what I do like. I do like um, when new acts come in, and you do get some arrogant ones that really come in and think that they know it all. Mm. And if they don't get a laugh, they blame the audience. And you've got to sit there and you go, hang on, without being an idiot, 200 people can't be wrong. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, I get what you're saying, like the whole like, oh, they mistake you. It's just, but it's not that. It's it's the situation of that it's 200 people can't be wrong. And that's when, when you, and that's again, like the arrogance of like the new act and stuff. And mm. it all depends how far you want to go with it, you know, how much you want to learn. Because, you know, anyone, again, trying to do something like this, like comedy or anything in the performing arts, it can be very defensive on the critique. Yeah. You know, if you go, oh, well, maybe don't do that. Or maybe, you know, and you're like, uh, uh, you know, who are you? And you're like, so I don't, you know, unless like now I've been in the, I've been in the business long enough to see the mistakes, but I won't necessarily, I won't necessarily go over to an act and go, oh, maybe you should do this. or Maybe you should do that. I just kind of, if they approach me and go, have you got any advice? And I go, yeah, actually I have. If you want to hear it and take it, then that's fine. You don't have to. Hmm. Um, yeah. Cause I remember. Yeah, again, when you're starting out, I'd have acts coming up to me and trying to give me advice, and you're a bit like that. I don't know if that'd work for me, and it's just about like you know, like picking and choosing mm. of who, like who to listen to and who to trust. Because again, yeah. you know, as horrible as it is, like any business, I imagine it, it, it can be very backstabbing. Where someone will say, "Why don't you say this?" and then you say it, and it could really ruin, you know, and undo everything that you've done. Yeah. I, I imagine as well, if if you're getting advice from from other comedians on how to do a, a certain line or to, or to deliver something, presumably how they would do it might be different to how you would do it anyway. So you want to be taking yeah. advice from people who your style fits in with. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, that, that that's exactly it. You know, um, I've been given advice before from some really big names, and you just like okay, because again, their style isn't my style. Hmm. You, you mentioned that you you watched Lee Evans when you were younger, who yeah, obviously is, yeah, a, yeah. is a massively physical comedian, and he could probably do a whole routine without saying anything. It's just the body movements how he does it. Yeah. What sort of comedians, uh, including Lee, perhaps were you basing your original early career on? Um, I'd probably say there was uh, a lot of Lee Evans in there, not not to the Lee Evans extent, hmm. but there was. I think there has to be because when I think the best way to find your own style for me was to maybe copy 
someone's style. I mean, is there elements of Lee Evans in me? Probably, I think, because it's kind of like with ingrained. Mm. But I'm not. I'm not. You wouldn't go. Oh yeah, you know, you're Lee Evans. Yeah. There's just like I, you know, there's like little elements within me, and that I probably do. Like I never stand still. I'll always like move up, you know, around the stages. You know, unless well, depending on obviously how big the stage is, but I like to move. I don't like to stand still. I, you know, I like to you know engage and have it that way. Yeah, that is. Yeah, Lee Evans, as you know, he's very physical. Yeah, and he's... as a kid growing up, I mean, what what I've loved about Lee Evans as well is as a kid, I used to laugh at his slapstick, mm. and for that, I'm a big fan of slapstick. But now, as I as I got older, I now understand the jokes, which makes it then takes it to another level, because I still appreciate the physical. I love the physical of it. And then understanding the jokes, you're like, yeah, okay. And then you can see why Lee Evans is Lee Evans. And mm. So like going on like the blueprint situation, like everyone calls Lee Evans Norman Wisdom when he was growing, like when he was going through, it was like, oh, he was Norman Wisdom. He, he you know, he's just a, a carbon copy of Norman Wisdom and like, well, is he though? Because it's mm. kind of, you know, obviously there's elements in there. Maybe there is. Because that's obviously how Lee Evans sees himself, maybe. Always going to be that, you know. You, you'll see any comedian, and then if you look into them, you'll be able to see their influences. Mm. So. I, th- I think you're right there because people will try and pigeonhole somebody and say that you're like this person, and that's how they'll yeah. try and describe them. Oh, he's like Lee Evans, and then that'll sort of stick with them. So, yeah, Lee Evans would have had he's like Norman Wisdom, yeah. and possibly even Michael Crawford on some others do have them as well. So, it would have been yeah, that, yeah, that, that yeah, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, other than Lee, were there any other kind of comedians that you you were influenced by, or or you you tried to take bits of what they they used? Lee Evans was probably the only one TV, but then I used to go and watch a lot of comedy as well. Mm. So within the comedy clubs, I'd always I'd go off on my own, or you know whether it be like you know Manchester or Liverpool, I'd go you know and watch the comedians there and just watch them and like comedy, you know, as I say, Comedy Store Manchester that was. A good one, as well as like sometimes if you're on part of a bill and you see comics and just go, okay. But I wouldn't necessarily like rip them off in in that regard. I would just I'd mm. watch them and just go, oh, okay, that you know that that was clever or you know and and just really appreciating it and being being a comic rather than a punter. Mm. If that if that makes sense. To so, you. so you you were you weren't going to watch and just laugh at them. You were going to analyze what they were doing and seeing what they were doing. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, um, but that doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy it either. Because I think what what I really like about now is that how much I'm enjoying watching other comedians. I still have that element of when you know when I say another comic. I'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, I'll see what he's doing. Or, you know, I'll see, like, the build-up of the punchline. Uh, sorry, the, the build-up of the joke. And then when he then delivered the punchline, there's been a few times that I've gone, oh, I know what the punchline is before he's even delivered it. Mm. Um, but, again, I think that's just, like, an industry thing. But that being said, that doesn't mean that I can't watch other comedians. Like, I've come across a few comedians in the past uh, and probably still will in the future where they'll go, I, I don't watch comedians, I can't stand them, I can't stand it, I can't stand it, and that. That's the whole reason why, you, surely for me, that's the whole mm. reason why you got into the business, because mm. you love to laugh, you love that element of it, you love, you know, yeah. just that feeling of of joy and, and, and elation. 
Is is there any particular kind of comedy that you you don't like? Because I mean, it, there's comedy that I'm not a fan of. Um, say, for example, I, I'm not a big fan of Tim Vine with the punning. It's just not my kind of humor. Yeah. I find it really cringy. Uh, no offense to Tim Vine because he's brilliant yeah. at what he, he's brilliant at what he does. Um, then you've got sort of the storytelling comedy. So Dara O'Brien could spend half an hour on one story, for example. Yeah. Or you've got Jimmy Carr with the really brutal dark one-liners. Is there a particular yeah. kind of comedy that you don't like? I don't know, because again, like when, when I look at across it, so like Tim Vine, I fully understand what you're saying with his puns, but I was very fortunate that I got to work with Tim mm. in 2014. And the way he has, and again, this is like, you know, when, when you watch it and you analyse it, the way he has the audience in his hand, you know, that hang on every word, and it's just it, it's just surreal to see. And, you know, but I, I, again, it's one of those, you know, you've got to probably like the one-liner comedians or the puns or, you know, and, and have that. But that being said, on the appreciation level, you watch it and he's brilliant. You're like, that's brilliant. That, you know, just just the way he's done it. Mm. Uh, Jimmy Carr, I've seen Jimmy Carr a few times. I don't know. In the answer to your question, in a particular style of comedy, do I not like? Probably, I wouldn't maybe say the style, it'd be more the comic that mm. I'm maybe not a fan of, if that makes sense. So, who would that be? <laughs> um, well, I've never seen Dara O'Brien, to be honest. Oh. No, I've never I've never watched them live. I like him when he when he hosts Mot the Week. Um, so, I've never seen him. So I'm, I'm really, seeing him in Liverpool on Saturday. Yeah, so I can't really. But I, hmm. I, I've never, I've never had the chance to work with him, and I've never been to see him. Hmm. So I can't really comment and go, oh, I don't like that. Because um, again, as well, like it, when you go across the board, like there's people that can't stand musical comedians. I, I love them personally. Hmm. You know, when you pull out a guitar, or one of the most um, in it. I can never say this word. Innovative. Innovative. <laughs> Innovative. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. Musical comics is... Have you ever seen Ivan Brackenbury? No, I haven't. No. Ivan Brackenbury. Tom Bins... Well, I, Ivan Brackenbury, the hospital radio DJ, is just brilliant when, when you watch how, how mm. he uses, like, you know, um, just music that we've all listened to and stuff. Mm. You know, and then you've obviously got Peter Kay's misheard song lyrics that he's done. Yeah, that's obviously famous. It'd be more like say the comedian than it would be the actual style. But then I think it's it's having that whole likability factor as well. Because mm. again, I you know you, you're not going to like everyone. It's impossible, and it's as a comedian, it's impossible to have everyone like you. Mm. Which is kind of something that I've kind of have not come to terms with, just acknowledged and accepted. Mm. Yeah. See, I, I, I wouldn't. I, I normally wouldn't have thought myself as as being a fan of musical comedy because I, I'm not really into different kinds of music. Yeah, I saw Rich Hall a few yeah. years ago. Um, obviously, he does musical comedy, and I was front row, and he made up because he makes up songs on the spot. And how he does that, I do not know. Yeah. But he was going through the front row of the comedy of all the people on in the audience, and I was at the end, and I knew this was coming as he was doing it because he was asking people what they did for a living, and the first guy I think was something like a firefighter, then you had a, a policeman, then it was security guard, but not just a security guard, it was security guard in Iraq, really dangerous job, and then he came to me and he, and he built it up as well. You must do something really heroic. What is it you do? I do SEO and, and web design. Yeah, yeah, and it fell completely flat when he did that, and he did a whole song about 
what I do. Yeah. And he must have, I don't know how he even knew what SEO was, but he did. Yeah. And he wrote the song about it on the spot. I wish it had been filmed. I wish it was one of the ones that was done for his tour because it was like one of the, the funniest yeah. and proudest moments of my life that Rich Hall was singing me a song yeah, yeah, about yeah. SEO in comparison with all the other macho jobs that were next to me. So it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, one thing I, 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 I do want to ask is the career of a comedian uh, is yeah. very up and down, very difficult, yeah. very long trips, not necessarily for, for much money when you get there. How do you make that work? Again, as I've gone on through the years, and lockdown has played a massive part in this, but I think it's just more about having as many different fingers in as many different pies as possible. So I, I understand what you're saying, like, you know, as you look at it from a comedian, but then you think, well, what what comedian, like, what comedian are you? Are you just a comedy club Friday and Saturday comedian? Or, I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate in, in the situation that I've kind of opened myself up vastly. Mm. So um, I now, obviously, I do comedy clubs Friday, Saturdays. I do holiday parks. I do cruise ships. I do theatre supports. Um, during lockdown, I got a radio presenting job. So again, that's something to mark off on the CV. Um, TV, like commercials, I'm trying to get into now. Christmas, I do panto. So it just kind of, it kind of just opens it up. And I think that's in order to make it work, you've got to open up your pathways. Because then if one door closes, then you've still got all the others. So coming out of lockdown now, I've mm. really, as I say, opened myself up. Because so I think when, when we met, I was doing the the laughing in Chester. Yeah. Yeah. At the, so at, the, at, the, at the live lounge, I think it was. Uh, yeah. So we, we were then uh, doing, you know, so that, that's obviously a proper comedy night. Mm. And, you know, it's just then kind of opening yourself up, as I say, a lot more. So I think to make it work, that's what you need to do. And as long as I can, you know, look through my yearly diary and go, all right, yeah. And I think more importantly, be happy with the work because, you know, you could work seven nights a week, but is that going to give you anything else? Probably not. You know what I mean? You, you know, you can work seven nights a week at all the wrong gigs. Mm. You know, whereas, you know, you can like say maybe work four nights a week at all the right gigs and possibly earn more money. And you think, okay, well, you know, and it's finding that balance between it. Mm. So, I mean, if that if, if that answers the question, yeah. I would I would say to definitely you know open yourself out up more because you know you can even see it now with like TV. Alan Carr is a prime example. You know, Alan Carr. He was started off as a comedian, then he was doing radio. Now he does TV presenting. He can go back to his stand up because again, it's about that whole you know going back and forth in between. Mm. I'll tell you the best one for it, actually, is Jason Manford. Jason Manford can do literally anything. I mean, the man, the guy is super talented, but then he also then done The Masked Singer. He done um, is it Big Ed's Little Ed's as the actual game show host. He's doing pantomime this year in Manchester for the first time. He's done musicals, mm. he, you know, he, as well as he's, comedy. He's got an album, hasn't he? He's got... Exactly, yeah. you know. So, so when, when exactly what I mean, it's like when you look at it, he he's the exactly what I'm talking about. When it's like just open yourself up, don't say no. You know, hmm. if you do it and you don't like it, you don't have to go back to it, but do it and give it a try. You might love it. So, like for me personally, comedy, especially the comedy business or the like the comedy circuit, 
there's a lot of snobbery within pantomime. It's like, oh, you shouldn't be doing pantomime. And it's it. And me personally, I love it. But I love it. And every year now, I, I try and start off my year by locking in a panto for the end of the year. Hmm. Going, okay, yeah. And then once I know that's in, then anything else in between is just... The bonus. I'm, I'm surprised there's there's snobbery in panto because panto is a, a quintessentially British tradition, and it, it allows yeah. comedians the opportunity to to showcase their skills and to do a bit of ad lib as well. And I've seen yeah. Julian Clary in panto. I think it was in Bristol, and he yeah. was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. So, what, what what do you think it is that there is this snobbery? What why does that exist? No idea. No idea. I just think it. You know. It, is it you can say it's anything funny you can say maybe is it a little bit of jealousy from other comics that can't do panto that wish mm. they could maybe you know is it the because i know panto as you say it's a very british thing so all comedians like say back in the 70s and 80s would go off and do a panto because mm. they do a summer season and then they then go and do a panto then then the comedy scene changed so then you'd go, you know, it then became like, you know, from a, a joke teller or a gag teller to then the alternative scene as it would be. And I think that, I think maybe that's it. You know, maybe it's the, it's the situation of like, you know, I'm an alternative comic. I just want to do, you know, like, these are my beliefs. This is what I want to do. Whereas Panto, it's, it's a case of being funny for, for being funny. It's not a case of, well, this is what I believe in. So, you know, I'm going to make this funny. It's kind of like, well, no, it's, you know, for me, for me, I mean, I just love to be, you know, on the stage in Panto, uh, whoever I'm with, mm. and being able to just look out into the audience, into the auditorium, and you see an entire family. So you go from like your nans, your granddads, you know, your mums, your dads, your aunties, your uncles, straight down to the teenagers, straight down to the little kids. You know, and I just think if you can make that entire family laugh, then you just, you know, nailed, like, a hundred years worth of, you know, humour as it would be. Yeah. Just in, does that make sense? Yeah. Just, yeah. Because you're following in footsteps of people who've been doing this for, as you say, for for over a century. It it is a yeah, tradition. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's something that's just part of British culture. Yeah, but I just mean as well, like you know, as I say, so if you can make them, if you can make the nan laugh, and then go down. Oh, I see what the, you mean. Yeah. This, yeah. Do you know yeah. Mean? So you know, uh, so like within that family, but yeah, you would yeah. be right. You know, and then you're following in the footsteps. So I remember. So the first panto I done was in 2018 at the Churchill Theatre in Bromley, mm. and as it was, it was my first pro panto. And then when I got it, I then looked down. I was playing buttons in Cinderella. Classic, down, classic. Yeah, and then when I looked down of who played buttons throughout the years at that theatre, mm. I remember seeing one in Gaspin. It was Ronnie Corbett. Wow. So again, like you said, you know, following in the footsteps of iconic, you know comedians that have played that role at that theatre, it's like, ah, oh, I'm now on the list. You know, going back to what you were saying with the snobbery within it, I don't know. I I, I, I tend to, any any like politics or comedy politics or whatever, I just tend to stay clear of it. And I just think, you know, if, if you don't want to do Panto, then that's fine. You know, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine. And, mm. you know, we'll, 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 we'll go from there. And, you know, it's what, what they... What they decide to do or choose to do doesn't affect me, and I know what I do doesn't affect them. Mm. So it's just kind of you know, yeah. It's like like any business, you can get caught up in any you know dispute or politics or whatever you know. But for me, I love it. And as I say, going to what you were saying before, if you open yourself up to everything 
who knows what's going to land on you, on yeah. your, at your feet, or who who knows, you know, what what's going to open up for you. Yeah, I I love a panto. I think it's fantastic. I, I don't understand why yeah. everybody wouldn't want to do it if they had the opportunity. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What what's it like when you're on a stage and you get that laugh? I can't be, even try to tell you how amazing it feels. As in, it's just it's the best place to be, especially if it's you know. I mean, I'd say there's two there's two different feelings. So there's the the feeling of like when when you write a joke, when you work a joke. And when you've worked on it and then you stand there and you deliver it and you get that laugh and you're like, wow, that, that's the payoff. Right? And it just feels amazing. But also as well, that laugh then feels completely different to when you've just said something on the spot, improv, come straight out with it. And that's just got a massive round of applause or a massive reaction. And you're like, oh, okay. Mm. And it's just so, but both of them, like, so they're two completely different feelings initially, but ultimately it's just it's just incredible you're just there and you're just like yeah this is you know there's no better place to be and I, I don't i don't care who you are or you know what what comedian you think you are that, that's why we do it that's why you you know we do the job and i can't even begin to describe how amazing it feels i i listened to a podcast with russell kane yeah and he described it as like a drug it's a rush, yeah. and he became addicted to it. One hundred percent. And he was going out doing gig after gig after gig, even though he, he yeah. wasn't earning much doing it. He just wanted that that fix of the next yeah. big laugh. Yeah, and I think that's then takes me back to when I was saying before when I was um, fourteen, fifteen, when I did that showcase, that drama showcase, and I was just getting laughs. That was what bit me that was the bug that it gave you know and and yeah he's right the drug it gives you the endorphins it releases you know you you know you walk you walk around I don't, it was like i came out from the dressing room not knowing who was going to be there and i got approached by so many different people so many different people telling me how much they thought i was hilarious how much they enjoyed me and and i didn't go out and intend to do that but mm. it was just like i think i was up like half the night that night just like why even buzzing and and this is, yeah, so, you know, ultimately it probably could be the same as a drug as well, couldn't it? Because mm. if you're like, you know, driving back from a gig and you've had a great gig, that's why there's a lot of comedians that will drive back straight after the show. They'll put everything in the car before, get straight in the car and go because they're still pumped and they're still, you know, still going it and they can, mm. you know, do it that way. So, yeah. So, so they don't worry about getting tired at the wheel. It's just they're so high on the actual show, on the rush, that yeah. they'll, they'll get home safe and they won't fall asleep. One million percent, yeah, mm. yeah, 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 and then, but yeah. So, so, so Russell Kane's analogy is probably spot on. Mm. One thing Russell Kane also on on this podcast was talking about was um, social media, about how a he met a YouTuber when he was doing a show, and the YouTuber suggested to him that he should put his his routines out on social media, yeah, which he thought would be the death of his act, because if you're giving it away for free on social media, why is anyone going to come and see you? But he started to do that, to do other bits of routines that weren't in his stand-up on social media and build up yeah. a huge following for it. How, how has that worked for you, if you've tried that, in terms of using social media to build a following and to, to get more work? To be honest, I've not... I can't say I've done that because, again, very much like Russell Kane said, that you just kind of burn in your material. Mm. So there's... Um, when you came to see me, did I do the Eye of the Tiger? 
I think you did. I think you did, yeah. So the Eye of the Tiger, for me, is one of those routines that as soon as it goes on social media and you've seen it, you can't unsee it. It's then very difficult. I mean, it's always the fear of then if you then go into an audience... Oh, sorry, if you then go into to do a show and then the audience have seen it, that they'll then say something. You want to give them something new. You want to give them something mm. that they've not seen. So I think, I think I need to start doing maybe, and I've got opportunities now coming up um, of like say putting on stuff that isn't in a show mm. up on social media and build up the following that way. That that would be right, um, and that's that's the next step that I'm going down. But I've also as well, I've got to be quite quite mindful because looking at my like following it's because I do holiday parks because I do cruises because I do panto as well I've got to be very mindful of what goes out there mm. and you know um, I've got a meeting with my management in a couple of weeks to just find out what what to put out there because you know if I do say a comedy club set and there's a bit of swearing or effing and jeffing or whatever in in there as there would be because it's comedy club and it's come to be expected. If I then put that out, does that then affect my family show? Yeah. Does that then affect my, you know, like panto side of it? So it's, it's, it's trying to find that balance. See that, that that's interesting because you've got different types of audiences then. So yeah. your, your, your stand up comedy at the comedy clubs, they're going to be an adult audience. They're going to expect the full on swearing yeah. repertoire Whereas your panto, obviously, that's a massive big red flag. You you cannot do that at a panto. So what do you think you're going to do in terms of doing that for, for branding and getting yourself out there on social media when you have very different, essentially, audience avatars? Yeah, um, at the minute, that's what I'm still working out. We've been having exactly the same conversation. It's like, on what dynamics you want to go on and, you know, where if you can find that balance that you can kind of hit both and brilliant, but it's, it's finding that balance. And I think that's where, cause I do, I, I, I do feel that I maybe need to release more, mm. but then I'm also a fan of, I mean, like TikTok, like during lockdown as well, like, you know, um, the little sketches that you can do on there and the little yeah. silly videos you can do in there. I'm a fan of that. Um, and I've done a couple of sketches with the kids. One of them went viral. Um, which was nice, but it's just, yeah, it, it's just trying to, as you say, find that balance between you know that and that, and you know, I'm, you'd hope that if I was to release an adult clip on, you know, on Facebook or in, well, it's not so much Instagram because I think Instagram you can be younger, but say on Facebook, you I think you've got to be thirteen. Thirteen officially. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. You then kind of like look at it and go, okay, well, you know, if you're on if you're on Facebook, is it allowed? Is it doable? Possibly, mm. but it's just yeah, it's just trying to I don't know, not 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 incriminate myself because I've I've seen it again happen to, you know, acts not so much not necessarily high profile, mm. but I've seen it happen to acts where they've kind of said one thing and then all of a sudden it's everything's every all the work that they've just done is just done spiral. Yeah. I've 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 seen it happen to a, a high profile com- comedian on oh, Twitter. Yeah. yeah, it was um you've probably heard of him, a guy called Lee Hurst. Yeah. 
Yeah, who I, used, uh, used to be on? Yeah, used to be on them. Um, they think it's all over. I met Lee years ago when I was first getting into comedy. Yeah, because uh, he was at the backyard comedy comedy club. The advice that those guys give you as well, like as I say, you know, when I've got advice off John Bishop and and Ken Dodd as well. I went to go see Ken Dodd. Oh wow! Yeah, years. I took my mum and dad to go see Ken Dodd, but then I kind of snuck off into like the backstage area with with a friend who who I knew. Um, but yeah, but yeah. So no, I didn't. I didn't. Going back to what you were just saying, then I didn't realize what happened to Lee Hurst and, and whatever. Yeah. I've seen it happen to others. I've just not seen it. Yeah, he he. Well, he was banned from Twitter. Really? Yeah. He he. I can't, I can't remember what he said, but it, it, he put something on because he was trying to push the boundaries and be really edgy, the sort yeah. of thing that Jimmy Carr does on a daily basis and gets away with. But he just stepped too far over the line. Way, way over the line, and Twitter banned his account, and he had a massive yeah. public backlash for it. So, essentially, he'd cancelled himself by something he put out on social media. So, yeah, I understand yeah. what you mean. You've got to be careful of that. You can't put some sort of routine out that's suddenly going to see your pantomime work fall down because yeah, yeah, we can't yeah. have somebody with that kind of potty mouth talking in front of four-year-old yeah, exactly. kids. Exactly. You know, mm. and I, and I think I think I've you know. Met my, Maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, but I'd rather let my talking happen on stage. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I think if I do a comedy club and it's in there and it's in the comedy club within the confined space of all the adults hmm. and it gets a laugh, then brilliant. If I then, you know, and because then you, if you then do it in the room, it's then not going to leak out anywhere. Yeah. You know, unless it's something horrifically said, which I'd never <laughs> say anyway. I'd never yeah. say anyway. But it's just, yeah, it's just that kind of. There's, there's, there's probably ways you can get away with it actually, because most Disney movies, for example, and Pixar movies contain jokes that go way over children's heads. Oh yeah. Most yeah, yeah. pantos yeah. contain stuff that go way over. I mean, I remember Julian Clary again in this panto. Some of the stuff he was coming out with was absolute filth, yeah. but yeah, it was yeah. said in such a way that kids would not see anything wrong by yeah. it because he's just doing it for the adults. So yeah. you can do that and not offend a younger audience. So there's been a couple of times this year, actually, where I've gone on to Holiday Park and they've gone, oh, you're on at half seven? And I've kind of gone, no, I can't be on at half seven. <laughs> that, that Post-watershed, post-watershed. Yeah, 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 exactly. And yeah. it's like, that wouldn't work. I'm not I'm not a children's comedian. Oh, but you can do family stuff. It's family in the regard that I don't swear. <laughs> there's a lot of innuendo in there and, you know, it's just... I can engage with the kids. That's not a problem, but I can't. I'm not a kids comedian, and I'm, I'm not. Yeah. You know, there's some brilliant kids comedians out there, but I'm not one of them. I'm, yeah, Joseph Fritzler was family, but um, not the kind yeah, of thing that yeah, you want yeah, yeah. in front of kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so just um, so just it's just that, and and then you know you explain to me it's like no, I can go on past nine o'clock because again, you know, you're giving the adult that time then. Mm. Um, but yeah, th- there's a lot of innuendo that I do. Like, there's a routine I do uh, about in the night garden that um, with the adults goes down really well, but mm. it goes straight over the kids' heads. They don't understand it because mm. the terminology that I use, um, they're, they're not going to get it. And if you get it, then that's not on me. That's on the parents. That's on the they parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They understand that. That's not on me. That, that That's your fault. That's not mine. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, so, but, it, I mean, I seen Julian Clary in Southampton. It was in Panto. Hmm. He was on with Paul Zerdin, Lee Mead, and Julian Clary. They were doing Jack and the Beanstalk. Hmm. And he was brilliant. 
Yeah, and now he obviously does the Palladium every year. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I think the one I saw him in, it was Cinderella, and he was the fairy godmother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And each yeah. time he came out, he had a more elaborate costume on. Yeah. I remember yeah, this one yeah. line saying, if you think this is impressive, wait till the final ball scene. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So if, if somebody wanted to become a stand-up comedian, yeah, what advice would you have for them, other than don't? Um, I wouldn't even say don't. Do you know what? <laughs> I think that if anyone says that that they want to do comedy, it's like, we're going to try it then. Go and try it. You know, you, you could be, and probably in the same sense that John Bishop kind of told me and the advice that I've been given over the years is that if you think you can do it or if you want to give it a try, then go and give it a try. There's nothing to say that you couldn't be, you know, the, the country's best comic or the world's best comic or whatever. There's nothing to say that you couldn't be. Mm. So any advice, I'd just say, just get on and do it. Just, you know, give it a try, give it a whirl. Because again, I think this is where, going back to me saying where I've always gone, I've always said yes and I've never said no. I'd hate to be sat here now going, oh, when I was 18, I could have given it a go, but I didn't. Mm. You know, so I'd, I'd just say give it a go and, you know, and f- find your feet and, yeah, it's mold, mold yourself on your comics, as in, you know, like I said to you, like the Lee Evans situation, you know, like, like find your mold there, but then, like anything, add mold, take mold away, do you know what I mean? And, you know, mm. Or, you know, add the clay, take the clay away, and and then all of a sudden you'll then find your style, and then that will then become you. Hmm. So yeah, just do it right, try it. You know, don't don't be don't be naive enough to not accept criticism, and especially from the audience as well. Yeah, you know, because like like I explained before, two hundred people can't be wrong. That's a it's a fact. You know, if you're doing if you're doing a gig and you're not getting a laugh, that's not because they don't find it funny. That's because you've missed a link, whether it be what's not being said. Maybe it's just one word that needs to be added in or maybe taken out and stuff and, and just, you know, really analyze yourself. You can't just, you can't just walk onto stage. I don't care who you are. Is it, I think within anything within the business, uh, not even in the business, just in life, you can't just walk on once and go, Oh, that's it. I'm the best at it. Mm. It needs constant work, you know. All all these all these comedians that you see that you think are overnight successes that we all know if you're in the business that you're not. You know, yeah. Mickey Flanagan is a prime example. He's superb, but he was doing the clubs and he was doing thirteen years of then doing it and then all of a sudden it took off and he's got three DVDs out, you know, what would be a household name Within, you know, you could go anywhere now to walk on, but that's 13 years of hard mm. graft, hard work, and not always getting it right, but then yeah. working on it. And then, yeah, 13 you know, years of dedication and practice to be an overnight success. That's exactly what it that. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Isn't yeah. it? And that's what I think people fail to realize as well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say about the, the gags not landing because I, I did a, a stand up comedy routine years ago, um, 2019, for Wirral Mencap. Uh, yeah. part of the Liverpool Comedy Festival where we had to write and perform our own routines for amateur comedians. And we had a, a comic who um, was going to be uh, Sam Avery. Oh, yeah, yeah, but Sam, yeah, yeah. Sam was on tour at the time, so somebody else stepped in for him. Um, yeah. So we had six sessions with a comedian basically going yeah. through the routines, what we're going to do. And 
the stuff that the comedian taught us, I think, was was invaluable. I would have happily paid for that tuition because I think it's oh, yeah. useful for presenting, it's useful for sales, it's useful for so much. Yeah. But just watching yourself back when you're doing a rehearsal and you realize the things that you're doing you don't realize you're doing. Because yeah. mostly for me, it was movement. I was stepping back and forth like this constantly while I was doing it. And I was just not aware of it. To be aware of your movement, like like Lee Evans, every movement has to have a purpose. Every movement is funny. Make yeah. it purposeful. I, I got so much out of that. But when I when I actually did the routine at um, Prenton Park at Tramway Rovers, there was two big gags that I thought were hilarious. Yeah. One particular one right at the end, and I barely got a murmur out of it. And yeah. you're like, I was waiting for that laugh, and it didn't come. And it kind of threw me. But then there was another bit I said that I thought wasn't that funny that got people absolutely pissing themselves, got me a round of applause, and then I broke character because I wasn't expecting that at all. You don't know what the audience is going to find funny. Exactly that. And that, and that's, again, it just rounds up what I said before. That, mm. You know, like you. So what I've described, you've experienced, you wrote mm. the laugh and went, oh, yeah, mm. and the laugh didn't come. You know, and then <laughs> yeah. you say something off the cuff and then you're like, oh, okay. Or, you know, a joke that you think, oh, this isn't going to work, but it does. Yeah. So, yeah, but it's just, it, it is all that. But then, you know, I did, I don't know, so when I see new acts now, I'd love to, there's some pet hates that I can't stand when, when I'm watching comedy. And you can only ever really see it within new acts. And that's one when, and you may have seen it like on the course or whichever, but when, um, when you take the mic out the mic stand, mm. And you just leave the mic stand there. I don't get that. I don't understand it because then all you're doing is you're just obscuring someone's view and you're also restricting your movement as it would be. Yeah. Whereas if you're going to take the mic out the mic stand, move the mic stand behind you because you don't need it anymore because yeah. you've I... made that active choice to go, there's the mic in my hand, don't need that. Own the stage. If... Yeah, exactly. But if you're mm. going to keep the mic, because I, I just find it, I think, well, why are you taking the mic out but not move the mic stand? It just doesn't. And I get, you know, some people oh, yeah. go like, you know, if you're a new actor, it's like, oh, I didn't think about it. I didn't, you know. I've, I remember Joe Brand doing that brilliantly. When I, I think it must have been her first TV performance. She came yeah. out, took the mic off the mic stand, picked the mic stand up, moved it out of the way and said, there, that's better. Now you can see me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it was yeah. brilliant the way she basically diffused the whole audience thinking, She's a bit big. She made a yeah. proper gag out of it. There, yeah, 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 Mike yeah. stands out of the way. Now you can see me now. So I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Um, so there's that one, the Mike stand one, hmm. um, and then there's two two others that really can't stand. Um, that's if you've got a watch, you constantly check your watch it's like that. You know, <laughs> and it's just I can't. I just think because as a as a and again, this is what I say to you when when I say that I enjoy comedy as a punter hmm. as well as a comedian is that as a punter if if you're just constantly like looking at your watch going oh how long have i got how long have i got you know with all this you can't help but think as a punter oh is there somewhere better you've got to be mate because this is a <laughs> night out for us this is our night out and you know you'd rather you're making it seem that you wouldn't want to be here mm. which can really really sway an audience and swing an audience and then also as well um i don't think i've ever done this i could be wrong but i don't think i ever have can't stand writing on the back of the hand yeah can't stand it i just think it looks because again as a punter you know i think this is maybe why i failed at the beginning but not fail 
but this is where my mind would go blank at the beginning because I wouldn't write anything on the back of my hand because if you use that as a safety blanket writing on the back of the hand and also I just think it looks untidy it just looks unprofessional because if you're watching it comedy's got to look spontaneous it's got to look like you've just gone up on stage thought about it there it is Mm. you know and there's the laugh whereas if you've got it written on your hand and you're constantly like you know oh oh this is what I'm going to say next oh oh, right okay it doesn't it doesn't look right and it doesn't feel right and if I sit I've seen it a couple of times with new acts as much as I'd love to go up to them and go don't do this don't do that don't do that it looks awful you don't know how they're going to perceive that yeah but if they came up to me and said oh what do you think about this I would then say yeah I wouldn't do that because it looks awful move your mic stand out of the way and definitely don't keep checking your or whatever you know I'd tell them Mm. If, if, if I've seen it I mean there was one act that I worked with the other week that was doing just that it was the, it was the latter two so it wasn't the mic stand it was the watch and the writing on the hand and it looked awful and I wanted to tell him but I thought no if you're not going to come to me as much as I want to help you I don't know how you're going to respond to it mm. and it's just that you know that whole like getting defensive and it's if you make a joke of it because we know that you know, so if you go and watch a work in progress tour, have you ever watched the work in progress show? I haven't. I, I really would like to. No, I've not yeah. seen one. So I went to see Sarah Milliken in at the Chester Story House a few years ago. Yeah. And that was a work in progress show. And she came on with bits of paper. That's perfectly fine because you know what you're doing. You know, you know what you're there for. You're there for a work in progress. But she'll make it aware to the audience of what's happening here. Hmm. So it's not like, you know, that that's why you're only paying £10 a ticket and you're not paying £30, £40 a ticket because yeah. it's it's a work in progress. It might not be as good as the final show, but that's what it's all about. Uh, but again, it's just, you know, when you've got that, that's fine if you know what you're going into. But I think just, as I say, writing on the back of the hand, it just becomes mm. too much of a safety blanket and the whole watch situation. Yeah. Well, you, you, see, you see the writing on the back of the hand on TV. I've seen acts on Mark the Week doing the... The little stand-up bits in the in the middle of the show with writing on the back of the hand. So big name comedians have done it. Yeah, if they want to do it, then you know mm. that's my again that that's my personal perception. So you know me me saying that it looks awful and it looks it, it doesn't look great. That mm. might be my opinion. You might have a different opinion on it and go, no, actually, I don't mind it. No, I I agree with you. To be honest, I I'm, I mean I did mine without any notes and without anything, and I I was yeah. word perfect if I do say so myself. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But that. <laughs> I mean, I, I won, so yeah, I would be. Um, but yeah, it, it's weird when they have that because it, it, yeah, it stands out. You think, does he not know his routine? Yeah, but and, that, and that's exactly how it comes across. I'll tell you what I did see, and again, I don't condone it, but I thought it was genius. Right? Is there was a guy? He had I can't remember whether it was there or whether it was there, hmm. but he had a tattoo of a scroll. <laughs> right. Right. So he had a tattoo of a scroll, and he'd write in the scroll in black pen. <laughs> and because they only ever used to wear t-shirts it looked like it was part of the tattoo and that's the only time I can ever go yeah that's genius that I see what you've done there I mean you know you tattooed yourself for your job mm. like quite literally but fair play that that was genius it just it just how he as I say he just had a scroll tattooed on his arm and he just wrote it in the scroll I still don't you know like like you said you know I think if you can learn it word perfect yeah. That's what it's about. It's about you know, hmm. if if you want to take this seriously and do it seriously, hmm. I mean, how many comedians have you been to see? You know, when you go see Dara Breen on 
on Saturday, are you going to go and see him? And is he going to have no, notes all written on the back of his hands? No, no, he's not. No, no. Because I mean, yeah, I mean it's, it's, the, the audience needs to feel relaxed, don't they? They need to feel that the comedian's confident. Because if they're worried about the comedian's performance, they're going to be yeah. worried, and that anxiety is going to go to the audience, and then they're not going to laugh as much. Yeah, exactly. And it's you know it's the same. You know, you, you know you wouldn't. Go, I wouldn't go onto a panto on opening night with my script and go. Oh, we are. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean, because again, it's it's like you say, it, it's having that. You know, you wouldn't see it. You wouldn't see it anywhere else. And mm. there's that part of it where I think, well, it's your show. If you're not yeah. going to remember your show, then maybe you shouldn't be doing a show. Full stop. Yeah. And that sounds really harsh. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're my three top tips that I would say not to do. Mm. Anything else, just go and try it. Just go and try it. That was a bit of a long winded answer, wasn't it? <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. That's fantastic. Um, as, as a final thing, so we, we, we are, I think we're running way over time, but that's okay. Um, as a final thing, if somebody wants to, to book you, to speak to you, to, to hire you for anything, or to hire you, go to one of your shows, what's the best way for them to, to get in touch with you? Uh, best way to get in touch with me is all via social media. Um, so, I mean, I have a website at the minute, but it's down, so that's probably no good, but it's all. Everything across the social media is all Phil Reed comedy. So it's P H I L R E I D comedy. Um, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram, it's Phil underscore Reed underscore comedy. Mm. Um, but I think if you typed in Phil Reed comedy, it still come up. Just all that, and I I have control of all my social media, which is a, <laughs> which is great. Um, but yeah, it's all Phil Reed comedy across the board. Uh, you can message me whatever you want to do. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a there's ways around it. Not whatever you want to do. That sounded like whatever you want to do. Yeah. Out, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sound like I was pimping myself out. No, so if any, not, anybody wants to hire Phil for thirty minutes, then <laughs> yeah. uh, thirty minutes. Thirty minutes. Generous. <laughs> well, they're going to well, They're going to pay twice. Going to pay twice. You know, you got to yeah. wine and dine. Still thirty minutes though. Well, get uh, it done. Well, I'm, I'm, get it done in five with a puddle. <laughs> maybe you tell a couple of jokes afterwards. I don't know. Oh no! I think once you've had that performance, that's the only joke they're going to need. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me, Phil. That's a good point to end it on there. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.